your Bibles with us today to the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5, and let's notice together the reading of the wonderful Word of God. We shall begin reading in verse 21, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. And there's tremendous, many tremendous lessons and texts and messages in this passage of Scripture. But one of them we want to bring to you, God helping us this morning. Mark chapter 5, look now with us on the Word of God, beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he taketh the father, and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was laying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talithi kumai, which is, being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly, 
that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now I want you to look at two verses this morning, verses 27 and 28. And if I had a subject this morning for this message, it would be this. I want to speak to you on the subject, the touch of faith. And you'll see that in these two verses and in the context which we've read concerning this woman. Verse 27 and 28. When she'd heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now in this chapter, you find Jesus conquering three great enemies of all of us. You find him in this chapter conquering demons. For in this fifth chapter of the book of Mark, you see the Lord Jesus casting demons out of the man whom we call the demoniac of Gadara. Jesus cast the devils out of this man and showed that he had power and supremacy over all evil forces and evil powers. In this chapter also, he conquers death. For we have the wonderful record of Jesus with Peter, James, and John and the parents of a 12-year-old girl going into a room and taking her by the hand and saying unto her, Arise, and she arose, she that was dead. So you see Jesus here conquering demons and conquering death, but you also in this chapter see him conquering disease. For here is the woman who is the subject of our message this morning, who is the victim of disease for many years. And in this wonderful miracle of the healing of this woman who had an issue of blood, you see what seems to be a miracle within a miracle. You see, the Lord's on his way to the home of a man, Jairus by name, who came and said, My daughter is sick. She was not yet dead. And as he goes along toward the home of this man, Jairus, folks come and say to Jairus, You need not bother the master any longer. For your daughter now is dead. So you see, as Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus, and great throngs of people are all around him. Many thronged him. But one touched him. And this woman came in this great crowd and touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says immediately she was made whole. Now I like to think that in in order to build the faith of this man, as he's on his way to, to his home where he'll find his daughter dead, I like to think that on his way to raise her from the dead, he shows Jairus and many others a great and tremendous miracle in that a woman touched with the hem of his garment and immediately she was made whole. And I want us to see this morning that that touch of this woman was what we can call in the Bible the touch of faith. For here came a woman who said, I believe if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I do not have to shake his hand. I do not have to kneel at his feet. But if I can touch the hem of the garment of the Lord, I shall be, I shall be healed and I shall be saved. I'd like you to see several things about this woman in a tremendous lesson of what I call the touch of faith. First of all, her condition. Her condition was a real condition. Now here's a woman who did not think she was sick, 
She knew that she was sick. Here was a woman whose condition was real, and she'd suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had in order to be, to be well. Her condition was real. You know, Christian scientists, uh, who are neither Christian nor scientific, say that there's, there's no such thing as sin, but sin is all in the mind. But that's not true. Just as this woman had a real condition, so the Bible teaches that man has a real problem, and that problem is the sin problem. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and his word, his truth, is not in us. So man only fools himself when he says, I do not have a sin problem, because all men have a sin problem. All men, every human being ever born in the history of the world, is born with an identical problem, and that's the sin problem. The Bible says, I was born in sin, and in, born in sin and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. So you see, a person has a real problem, the sin problem. Now this woman's problem was not imaginary, neither is the sin problem in the lives of people an imaginary problem. It's a real problem that every person must deal with. A famous preacher was preaching some years ago on the subject of the depravity of the human heart. And Ms. Malone and I were mentioning in our home just a few hours ago how we used to hear Dr. Bob Jones Sr. so often speak on the subject of human depravity. And no one could describe it any better than he could out of the Word of God. A man was speaking on the depravity of the human heart, that all men are born with a depraved and sinful nature. And a young skeptic came to him and said, I can't swallow that depraved heart business. And the wise preacher said to him, you don't have to swallow it. It's in you already. And that's true of every human being. That in you is a sinful nature and an Adamic nature that will put you in hell unless you realize you have a real problem. And it's a problem of sin that must be dealt with. Now all have a real sin problem. You know, if I were an evolutionist, I wouldn't have to face the sin problem. Because I could not tell uh, anything about where sin started and when sin started and how sin started. But it just so happens that I'm not an evolutionist. I'm a biblicist. And I believe what the Bible says that by one man sin entered in the world, and death passed upon all men, Romans 5, 12. Someone is talking to an evolutionist one time, and an evolutionist was trying to present his case, and the person said to him, don't talk to me about your kinfolks. He said, uh, I might have had some of my kinfolks hanging by their neck from a tree, but none of my kinfolks ever swung by their tail from a tree. And I feel that evolution is one of the most ridiculous things in the world. It, among other, other false philosophies, bypasses the reality of sin. But it's a reality, my friend, and every person in this world must deal with the sin problem or you deal with it at the, at the judgment bar of God. Her, her condition was a serious one. She not only had a real problem, her condition led to death. 
she was soon going to die. You say, preacher, how do you know that? I know that because her, her condition was one of an issue of blood which she'd had for 12 years. And the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood and her life was flowing out from her body and she is soon to die. Her condition led to death. So does the sin problem lead to death far worse than physical death. The Bible says the soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. Whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Every one of us may die the first death, the physical death, if the Lord tarries. But to die the spiritual death means to be cut off from God forever, the second death. Her condition led to death. So does the condition of sin in the lives of people who have not dealt with it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the Bible says something about this woman that's so true of life. She had many physicians. Many physicians, she'd gone to every doctor she could. And the Bible said she'd spent all that she had and was nothing better. Better. Now I feel sorry for people that would suffer at the hands of one doctor, but to suffer at the hands of many doctors. You see, there were no hospitals, no anesthesia. And you think what this poor woman had suffered in all these years. She had suffered many things of many physicians, and you know, there are many so-called physicians in the world today that think they have the answer to your problem. Uh, uh, some people will say to you, well now, if you'll just be sincere, just be sincere, don't care what happens, if you'll just be sincere, you are going to be all right. And a lot of people believe that sincerity will put you in a good place at the end of your life on this earth. But that is not true. You can be as sincere as the most honest person in all this world and die in your sin and go to hell. I read recently of a young man that was a hunter. He's cleaning his high-powered rifle, looking at the television at the same time. And on the television was a great actual pictures of a great hunting expedition. And he's cleaning his rifle because he's soon going to go hunting himself. And he was all excited and he knew, he thought, his rifle was empty. So when this big animal comes across the television screen that people are hunting, he just raised his rifle, took that aim like he's hunting, pulled the trigger, and blew his television all to pieces. Now he said, why well, I thought my gun was empty. But you see, he was sincere in what he thought. But when he was sweeping up the debris of his TV set, he learned you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Some so-called physicians of the soul say, now just be yourself and be sincere. Some say, live the best you can. And I believe secretly and subconsciously down the hearts and lives of a lot of people, there's this, this idea that if a person just lives the best they can, they're going to make it to heaven. And there's this, um, this subconscious feeling that if I live the best I can, a good God would never put one in hell who'd live the best he could. But now let me, let me just say to you that the Bible plainly teaches 
that living the best you can without Christ is a sure ticket to hell. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 is a verse that, I mean, it's one of those verses in the Bible that give you such a tremendous truth, it's staggering. For the Word of God says, all our righteousnesses, plural, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we are all as an unclean thing. God's holy word says, live the best you can if you think that'll get you to heaven, but it will not get you to heaven. No good neighbor will get to heaven because he's a good neighbor. No man who lives by the golden rule, so-called, will get to heaven because of that. For all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we're all as an unclean thing. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now then, there are some, some uh, consultants and of the soul, and they'll say, Now, what you need is to join the church. I know actual fact. It came from a wealthy man's wife in whose home some of our people visited years ago. I know for a fact that there was a wealthy man in a church uh, two or three miles from here said, uh, we'd like to have this man in our church. He said, I can't, can't come uh, on Sunday because it's my golf day. They said, if you'll send a photograph of yourself so we can show the people who you are, we'll vote you into the church. He was a wealthy man. And the wife of this man said to a preacher and another gentleman from our church many years ago, she said, I'm not a Christian, and I don't know the truth of Christianity, but I know joining the church by a photograph will not get you to heaven. And I want to say to you, joining the church in person won't get you to heaven. If I go over here and go through the Pontiac uh, automobile plant, it'll not make me a car. I'll still come out the other end with a human body, just like I went in. And, um, you know, if it put you in an oven, it wouldn't make a biscuit out of you. And put you in a church doesn't make a Christian out of you. Only people should join the church who've been born again by the Spirit of God. She suffered many things by many physicians, and there are some physicians of the soul who say, well, all you have to do is have a good church and join the church. And there are others who say, all a man needs is a good environment. And hardly a week of my life goes by. So help me God as I stand here this morning. But what some people don't come to me and say, Preacher, what our city needs is better living conditions. And it does need that. But a good environment will never get anybody to heaven. I would remind you this morning, God placed the first man he ever made in the most beautiful environment the world has ever known. And he messed it up like a hog pen until God had to drive him out of it. An environment does not make you a Christian. All a man needs is a good environment. Some people say, all you have to do is look back to the Garden of Eden. She spent all she had. She did everything she knew how. And I may be preaching to somebody this morning, and I've talked to them every week of my life. Somebody that's tried everything. They've tried pleasure. They've tried material things. They've tried all the luxuries. They've tried the sins. They've tried all that the world has to offer. All of its glitter and glamour, and it hasn't worked. When you've tried other things and failed, try Jesus. Touch Him, and He will make you whole. Now, her cure is so beautiful. 
First of all, she heard of Jesus. You know, sometimes Christian people go out and they talk to people about the Lord and they don't get saved uh, right then and they get discouraged. Don't, don't get discouraged. This woman no doubt heard of Jesus many times. She no doubt heard of Jesus during these, during these three years he was on this earth while she was going to these doctors and spending all she had and was nothing better. And you know, people learn by repetition. So we need to tell the unsaved people over and over again that Jesus saved sinners and it's the only way to be saved. I remember very well where I was when I had the first bit of news about the death of uh, President John Kennedy. I was with a friend flying a small airplane from Pontiac Airport down to the city of Tecumseh. As we were flying along, we had a low-frequency radio in the airplane and had it on, and there came a, a, an announcement that something terrible had happened in Dallas. And if you remember, the news was so confusing at first. And um, I, the, the broadcast said President Kennedy had been shot. Well, I couldn't believe it. I, just, I didn't believe it. And there was a lot of confusion about even the announcement at, at, the first, at the first stage. And so I did not believe it. I just couldn't believe. And my friend and I said, well, we don't believe that, that someone would shoot the president and that the president has been shot. We got on down to the city of the country and we're taking a, a radio, a high-frequency radio, to be worked on in a radio shop in the country. And went in and said to the folks, have you heard anything about the shooting of President Kennedy? And they said, we heard an announcement, but it's very confusing. We don't be really believe that the president's been shot. When I got back home and heard the, the thing for the third time, it said President Kennedy is dead. And there were pictures about his death. And I heard it three times. Heard people who are supposed to be reputable say it the third time before I ever believed it. My friend, a many a person to whom you give the gospel will not be saved the first time they hear it, but keep on telling them and keep on telling them. She heard of Jesus and heard that he could heal people and save people and open the eyes of the blind and do miraculous things. And she said, I'm going to go one day after hearing maybe more many times. I'm going to go and touch him. You know, if you, you, if you have faith enough to be saved, uh, a lot of people say, I don't, I don't believe I have faith enough to be saved. Well, I tell you, friend, and I hope you'll understand what I'm saying, it doesn't take a lot of faith to be saved. You know, there's no description in the Bible about how much faith you have to have in order to be saved. You just know that you're lost, and you believe that Jesus died for you, and that he bore your sins in his body on the tree, and you trust him, and that's the amount of faith you have to have. And she didn't have a great deal, but she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, and when she did, watch it, she was instantly cured. And this woman bent over for years, straightened up. And I want to tell you, when you touch the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you can be instantly healed. But I like this about the woman. You know, it was no accident with her. She intended to touch him. And she intended to touch him. And she, she 
came for that purpose and got in that crowd. What sick woman who'd been suffering this awful disease for 12 years would say, I want to see how big a crowd I can get in and how much I can be jostled about with all this throng of people. No, she wouldn't do that except for one reason. Down in her heart, she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be saved and I will be healed and I will belong to him. And her, her touch brought absolutely instantaneous intentional salvation and healing and her cure was complete. She didn't need these false physicians anymore. And when you get born again, you won't listen to them either. Because as someone has said, if you've been blood washed, you cannot be brainwashed about the truth of the Word of God. I close by saying, looking in her confession, verses 30 through 33, how beautiful it is. Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She confessed, I'm the one that touched you. And I touched you because I was filled with disease. And I touched you to be healed. And I touched you to be saved. And you know, friend, I believe, I don't, someone came to my office the other day, well, just yesterday, a young man. He said to me, preacher, is this where you hear confessions? I said, no, we don't hear confessions in this church. God hears them when people come kneel at an old-fashioned altar. We don't hear confessions. But the Bible does talk about confessing the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Romans 10 and 10 says, If thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, uh, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what the Bible says. And friend, you'll never be a Christian till you confess that you believed in Christ as your personal Savior and you're confessing Him as the Lord of your life. Jesus said, Whosoever should be ashamed of me and of my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, of Him will I be ashamed when I come into the presence of the Father. But of Him, He who confesses me, I'll not be ashamed in the presence of my Father. A lot of folks say, well, you know, I don't want to be a fanatic. First of all, I, don't, I never liked hearing that because that's, that's like saying every one of us some fanatical, crazy kind of erratic person. I never liked to hear a person say, um, I, I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to be a fanatic and go down an aisle and make a public confession to be saved. Now, I'll tell you what you do. You take that I don't want to be a fanatic thing and follow that in other other areas of your life. For instance, when you got married, now, uh, did you say to your wife, now, I don't want to be a fanatic about this marriage business. You ride in the back seat, so nobody will think we're really fanatical about being married. In fact, better yet, lay down on the floor in the back seat so nobody will see you. Because I don't want anybody to think we're fanatical about this marriage business. You see, that's the dumbest thing, pardon the expression, that anybody could ever say. I don't want to be a fanatic. Well, I am a fanatic about some things. 
Well, I tell you, I love sports so much, if I see two boys playing marbles, I'd stop and watch them. And when I found out which little guy was behind in the game, I'd start rooting for him. He'd be my man. I'm fanatic about it. And don't sit there critical of me, because there's nobody on earth that's perfect. But I'm a fanatic about some things. And I tell you, it wouldn't be bad to be a fanatic about Jesus Christ. I'm fanatic, a fanatic in believing I can only go to heaven through him who died for me and shed his blood upon the old rugged cross. But oh, how many people are like that great crowd. They thronged him. Nothing said about any of them coming to know him. But pushing her way through that throng, jostled about, maybe knocked down a few times. Here's a little bent woman, 12 years. She's been in this awful condition. And maybe the tears rolling down her face. And she's saying, oh, if I can touch but the hem of his garment. And finally she got where he was. And she said, there he is. And she reached and touched the hem of his garment. And she walked away straight and whole. And I say to you this morning, if you by faith will touch the Lord Jesus in believing that he died for your sins on the cross, you can straighten up and go away whole in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we want more than anything else in the world to make the way to be saved plain and clear. Lord, I pray that thou wilt bless the preaching of the Word of God this morning, so that if there are those here who are not saved, they can understand. Lord, I pray that no one in this church this morning will ever be able to say, no one ever explained, no one ever taught me, no one ever told me how I could get out of this life of sin and be a child of God. So, Lord Jesus, this morning, speak to hearts and bless the ministry, the Word of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you keep your heads bowed?